From what I understand, his father passed away, and he would have pictures of him in his locker. Some students thought it would be a good idea to rip down those pictures and harass him and bully him for missing and loving his father. Going through what I went through, you kind of keep to yourself. You don't know who you are or anything. You're just walking through the space, empty space. It's kind of like a, a puzzle. You're trying to find your way to the good things in life. No one wants to be bullied. Everyone wants to feel like they mean something to somebody. It's definitely a hard four years of your life, you know? Even like a few words can affect someone so negatively. I'd sit in the cafeteria alone. I wouldn't talk to anyone. Even if people invited me to sit with them, I didn't feel this was my place to be, you know? Coming to a city school, a lot of people said, you're just going to make it worse. I didn't know what else to do for them. So yeah, we just took the jump. I was uh, pretty scared, you know? I kind of thought the, the city experience, maybe a bigger high school rather than a small town high school, it just might be better. I hope that attending the school, I would be treated like everyone else. Yeah, I just wanted to make it and just be a normal kid. I was sick and tired of being a no one. Oh my gosh, that seems so abrupt. Josh says, I was sick and tired of being a no one. I just wanted to be someone. If we haven't met before, my name's Rob Jacobson, and I'm so glad you're here today because I think that God is going to do amazing things. Josh said, in essence, that he was done being in setback. He was done staying in setback. He was tired of being a no one. He just wanted to be someone. And so not only did he move schools, but he decided to do something that no one else would do, but anyone could have. Now, I don't know what your setback is. Maybe it's the death of a parent or the death of a relationship. Maybe it's a financial setback or a vocational setback. Maybe you really can relate to Josh. You're someone who can walk through a door and feel completely invisible. Whatever your setback, you don't have to stay there. I start with this setback because we've been in this series where we've been talking about setbacks. Setbacks are simply when life throws us a surprise and we end up in a place that we never thought we'd be and we fear we'll never leave. Setbacks are really easy to get stuck in. We've talked about how when we live in setback for long enough, we start to see things in a way that isn't helpful. We start to wonder if we're ever going to get out. And, and today, we'll see that even when we see the way out, we stop. Somehow, we don't move forward. What keeps us stuck when we can see the way? We've been looking at the story of Exodus. Not just as God's great 
escape from Egypt, but as this journey from setback to comeback, this journey from bondage or slavery or, or prison to freedom. And it's this idea that God doesn't allow us to stay stuck. God puts us through these exodus places to work in us in ways that we don't let them work any other time of the time, any other time. See, God knows there's stuff deep within us that are obstacles to our relationship with him, our relationship with others, and even to ourselves. And God loves us so much that when setbacks reveal these deep things that are usually things we don't really like other people to see, God is completely there. And he meets us in the midst of it. You know, I used to ask God to appear in the flesh. Just come into my life right here and tell me what to do. I can think of about four or five situations where I just had a big decision to face and I I just wanted God to say, do this, and then I would do it. And I'd appreciate it if, you know, when he came to the door, like I promised that I would stop talking, which, you know, if you know me, that's kind of hard, but that I would stop talking and I would let him talk as long as he would talk slow enough where I could write down notes take simple instructions, he would bear with my questions, and then, you know, that I would just move forward. Till, not in the flesh, but till his unaudible but unmistakable voice came and said, do this, and I'm like, whoa, (laughs) that was just something that I wasn't expecting. That's terribly not what I want to do. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you have seen a way out and it's been terribly not what you want to do. And so you stay. Well, I'm so thankful because God devotes pages and pages and pages to conversations with the God of the universe to his people, to specific people, people that I can relate to and people I bet you can relate to meeting them there, showing them the setback, and then showing them a way out. If you need a way out today, I I would encourage you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 4 as we really take a look at what keeps us from making this comeback. In Exodus 3, God has called Moses to come out of this setback, to come out of the desert, to come out of this life where he's felt like a stranger in a strange land. God has said, hey, I am the infinite power and I will be personally with you and I'm going to show you the exact plan. Here's the way out. This is what we're going to do. And you'd think when Moses hears that, he'd be like, yeah, that's awesome. But instead, he says, no thanks. I mean, literally, it's like, God's saying, Moses, you're my first round draft pick. Here's the plan. I'm going to work in you. And he's like, um, can you pick someone else? Really, Lord, pardon your servant. But I think you should handpick somebody else for this job. It's, it's almost comical. If it weren't so darn relatable. But so many of us, even when we see the way way out, the road out is clear, we stop and we stay. And it's okay to admit that. 
God will not strike you down for it, or at least he hasn't me, and he hasn't in so many other places in the Bible. So I don't think he's going to do that. But we start to see in this dialogue between God and, and some guy, some guy named Moses, why Moses wants to stay in the lifetime school of setback. First is this huge fear of the unknown. Take a look with me in Exodus 4. The first verse says that Moses answered, well, God, what if they do not believe me or listen to me? And I, when I say the Lord, and they say the Lord did not appear to you. And God says to him, what is in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replies, and he says, throw it on the ground. So Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake and Moses jumps back. And the Lord said to him, reach out and take it by the tail, which any of you who know anything about snakes should go, hmm, no, that's not a good idea. And Moses reached out and grabbed it and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. And, Mo- and God says, perform this sign and they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has really appeared to you. And then the Lord said to Moses, now, put your hand inside your cloak. And so the, Moses put his hand inside his cloak. And in the, the Hebrew language here, it's, it's on his heart next to his chest. It's a very intimate picture. Now, Moses put his hand in, and when he took it out, it was white as snow with a severe skin disease known as leprosy. Considered very unclean if you were religious, and, and really no cure if you're not, even if you're not religious. And he says, now put your hand back in your cloak, the Lord says, and Moses puts his hand back in, and when he took it out, it was healthy as the rest of his body. And the Lord said to him, if they don't believe you and are not convinced by the first miraculous sign, they will be convinced by the second sign. And if they don't believe the second sign or listen to you, even after these two signs, take some water from the Nile River and pour it out on the dry ground. And when you do, the Nile will turn to blood on the ground. I mean, the first 17 times I've read this story, I'm like, that just, these, these stories make no sense. And then I started to see this in the light of a God who just cares about someone and doesn't want to see them stuck any longer. And then I thought about where Moses has come from and what God is asking him to do. And all of a sudden, these these pictures started to open. Because I think as humans, we gravitate towards predictability and control. Like, if you've come in here more than once and you've sat in the same place or relatively the same place, you like predictability And if you're like, I hate predictability, I love adventure, stop and think about how many adventures that you have meticulously planned out. And if you're like, I haven't done that, then just think about when you go on the adventure, how much control you want to have. Are you sure those bungee jumps are all strapped in the right way? I think we like predictability and control. See, that's been our nature ever since the Garden of Eden, ever since the very first story in the Bible where Adam and Eve are in this garden and everything's great. There's nothing between them. There's no, there's no blame. There's no shame. There's this great, tight relationship with God. And God's just like, hey, 
you know what? You can eat from anywhere. The tree of life, go ahead. Just the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't do that. Just don't do that. And they're like, oh, why not? We want to know good. And, and you know what? We want to know evil. Because if we knew both good and evil, then we could predict what's going to happen. We might even be able to control things a little bit. We would be like God. And God's response to them is they are moved out of this place of paradise. And we've been trying to create spaces of control in our lives ever since. We fear the unknown. It keeps us stuck in setbacks. And God's response to Moses' desire for this predictability in his life is to give him these three signs. Not just one, but three. First, he takes this staff, which really, as a shepherd, is his means of protection, guidance, and really control of his flock. And, and Moses may have not wanted the job of a shepherd because he grew up in Egypt that, who despised shepherds. So this temporary employment became kind of a permanent vocation. I have a feeling he got pretty good at it. And in these moments where he throws down the staff and it turns to a snake, which would be a big threat if you're a shepherd, these two symbols are also reminders of who he was in Egypt. The serpent being a symbol of authority and the rod being a symbol of power as well. These are signs in Egypt of, of his life as a prince. This throwing down and grabbing by the trail really, I think, implies this question to us. Do we trust God with our greatest strengths? With who we are, who we know we are, who, the, the things we're awesome at. Do we trust God with those things? Or does our desire for predictability and our desire for control, when, when we're in a situation that's uncomfortable, that fears weird, that we think we might never get out of, do we just start to focus on our strengths and the things that we can do and the things that we can control? See, God demonstrates his power and his control and his authority, not just over our strengths. I mean, with Moses, he... He talks about and shows him that God has power over his health with the leprosy and the prosperity and even his life. I mean, the Nile River is the source of pride and the source of life in Egypt. And when it's blood, it's useless. Blood spilled on the ground is death. And God invites Moses to trust him with his greatest strengths. Think about times where you have been stuck in setback, where you, you might even know the way out, but you're somehow not running towards the, the road to come back to God's future for you. Is it because of this? Because of this fear of the unknown? I mean, I love that God invites us into this unpredictable adventure it's just sometimes scary. But Moses has to be reminded that his security is not found in his control. It's not found in his power. It's only found in God. 
Now, I love that that's not enough. Because as much as I'd like that to be enough for me, it's not. It's not. My fear of the unknown can still keep me from comeback. How about you? You don't have to hold on to your power or your control. You can hand it over. You can hand over the things that you think make you strong and put them in God's hands so they can become truly powerful. Second fear that I see that keeps us back, not just the fear of the unknown, is this fear of inadequacy. It comes to us in, the, in verse 10. When Moses again pleads with God, even though he's given him a very compassionate response, he says, Oh Lord, I'm not good with my words. I've never been good with them. Not now, not then, not now. Even though you're with me, and even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied. My words get all tangled up. And the Lord asked Moses, Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or don't speak, hear or don't hear, see or don't see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you. I will tell you what to speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. You know, there were uh, many, many years ago, I took this class on job interviews and writing resumes and stuff. This was kind of the thing to do in the 90s. And so they, the, the instructor on the first day, they had us, she had us list our strengths and our weaknesses. We had to be aware of our strengths and our weaknesses. It's a really, it's a really good thing to be aware, self-aware, you know, that, that's good. So we wrote out our strengths, we wrote our weaknesses, we brought them in. I'm like, yeah. And then she says, okay, now I want you to take each of your weaknesses and I want you to figure out a way in the next assignment to turn them into something positive. Make your weaknesses your strengths. And we were a bit confused. So she said, like, for example, you could make the fact that you, you spend all, you're meticulous in your, in your presentation and you'd spend too long on it. You could say this, you could say, I often spend too much time making sure my presentation is free of errors. Or instead of saying, I'm afraid of team disunity, you could say, I really, really care about team harmony. I'm dedicated to it. It's one thing to be aware of our weaknesses. It's another thing to embrace them. So here's a little experiment. Rather than me tell you a story, you don't have to stand up. You don't have to do anything that is public. But I do need you to take out your worship folder and take out the pen that someone at the door gave you. And I need you, with your dominant hand, to write your full name with your best penmanship. Your full name with your best penmanship. This might not be your credit card signature. We're not trying to do any identity theft. This would be the you know, if you're into big loops, then you do your big loops. If you're into small, you know, quick strokes, you do that. So you write with your dominant hand your full name in your best penmanship, and now you show it to someone near you. Go ahead. And someone will magically bring you a worship folder if you're like, oh, I didn't think I needed one of those. <laughs> or a pen, because I won't get it. Now, how do you feel about what you wrote as someone looks at it? 
Now, I want you to take the same piece of paper, and you're going to write your full name in your best penmanship with your non-dominant hand. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Best penmanship with your non-dominant hand. Full name. Now show it to someone near you. Yeah, I know. It's the same letters. It's the same name. You're like, okay. Now there's a few, I'm sure, ambidextrous people out there, but go ahead and show it to someone. Now think about how you feel as you show your second signature. I feel like I should have abbreviated. (laughs) I hear some of you making excuses for your penmanship. How do you feel about the two signatures? One with your dominant hand, one with your non-dominant hand. They're both signatures, right? They're both your best work. But wouldn't you say that the second one is something that makes you feel really uncomfortable? That you don't really want to show someone else? I mean, it's one thing to be aware of your weaknesses. It's another thing to go display them to someone else. Weaknesses like that, it's kind of like having your zipper open, right? Like, it's one thing to have your zipper open and be at home all day. And it's another thing to go through the whole workday and then have someone be like, We don't want to do that. It's uncomfortable, so we avoid it. The fear of inadequacy makes us avoid things that we just think will be uncomfortable doing because none of us want to hear we're not enough. None of us like to hear we can't do it, and it's even worse when we know we can't do it. I mean, look at Moses. I'm not good with words. I've never been good at words. Even though you've spoken to me, even though, God, you've told me that you're the God of the universe and you have all the power and you'll be in me, it's not enough. It won't be enough. And God's response is brilliant. I mean, he's God, but it's brilliant. Who gets to decide what's an ability or a disability? Is it not I who, I love how another translation says it, is it not I who make them deaf or make them mute? Is it not I who make them blind or make them see? I will teach you what to say. This is the creator of the universe trying to meet us in our deepest inadequacies the things that we're so afraid of showing to someone else and it's so uncomfortable that we'd avoid them. God just meets us there and says, I'll be in those things. Our fear of inadequacy can completely, completely keep us from our comeback. Will you hold on to that desire to avoid the discomfort of your disability or will you Hand it over to God. 
put your weakness in his hands and his power. The last fear here that I see, I, I, I guess I'll call the fear of the deep past. See, if you read this story in its fullness, you'll, you'll notice that even when God says this, it's not enough for Moses. It's not enough that God's going to be in his greatest strengths and we can, he can trust him in that. It's not enough that God's going to be with him in his greatest weakness and he can trust him in that. He just says, I, I want you to send someone else. You think you've handpicked me for this? Go find someone else that you've handpicked for it. I'm not your guy. I mean, God says that he'll be with him. And Moses goes back to his father, Jethro, his father-in-law. And he says, um, please let me return to my relatives in Egypt. I don't even know if they're alive. I mean, the God of the universe has just told him that they're alive and that they're suffering in Egypt. And he's like, I'm not sure. I, I think this is just simply the fact that Moses doesn't, still doesn't want to go. I mean, his father-in-law says, gives him this great blessing of going in peace. It's like fullness and prosperity, and I'm blessing you. I release you. Go ahead. And it's not until Moses hears this. Before Moses left Midian, the Lord said to him, Return to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you have died. Then Moses takes his wife and his sons, he puts them on a donkey, a donkey is a symbol of peace, and he goes back to the land and he carries the staff that God had asked him to do. He takes on his commission, he goes out of setback, he makes it towards his comeback after hearing those words from God, that all those who wanted to kill you have died. If you know the story of Moses, then you know that before this, in a lifetime ago when he was a prince of Egypt, when he thought he was going to be used by God, he responded to God's call with force, not faith. And in a moment of passion, of seeing the oppressed rescued, which is God put in him, he lashed out too strong, unrestricted, and killed someone. And Moses has that, has that picture from his deep past etched in his mind. I believe he thinks about it because the way that the story goes, he doesn't say yes to God until after God says this. We have a fear of our deep past. It might be this giant mistake. It might be this thing that we don't want anyone else to know or this personality trait that that we have tried to cover up for years and years and years, but something in our deep past is there, and if we're stuck in setback, we have to face it. One of my scholar friends said it this way, before we can make our comeback into God's future, we have to confront our deep past. Who were we before our setback? Moses finally does. See, as much as as we want our, our setbacks to like be just these short episodes of struggle and then we're free, some of us have a lifetime in setback. It's because maybe it's the fear of the unknown or it's maybe the fear of our inadequacy or maybe it's the fear of confronting our deep past. You know what though? 
I've always, always read this story that God is annoyed with Moses and then he's finally just tired and angry. There's only one sentence in the whole dialogue that would ever give us the indication that God is actually angry with Moses. And it's not anything God said. The narrator had to write it, which we believe might be Moses. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Or, and God was angry with Moses. Before that, after that, we just don't see any words that indicate his anger. Even after God became angry with Moses, he says, all right, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? You know, I know he speaks well. And look, he's on his way to meet you and he will be with you and he will be delighted to see you. And if you talk to him and you can put the words in his mouth, I'll be with both of you as you both speak. I'll instruct you both in what to say. You'll be like a God to him. I will give you the words. You will give Aaron the words and then Aaron will speak those things to the people. Now go. There's no anger except for this one little line. Maybe... God isn't really angry with Moses. Maybe he's just a patient parent here. He's trying to help him confront his deepest fears so that he can make his comeback. Well, if that's the case, then I have to believe that maybe God's not that angry with us. Then maybe God is gently trying to face have you face your fears to let you pull out of setback, to get you out of setback, to get you into God's future. Sometimes it just takes one step, one moment of courage. Like this guy, Josh. Take a look. And I wanted to reach out to people and show who I was. I just remember at first they called him the doorman. They thought he was weird. It was definitely kind of weird. It took a while for people to adjust. But once people realized that he was continuing with it, it almost became something to look forward to in the morning. Like, you walk up the stairs and you know that Josh Ann's going to be standing there with a big smile on his face saying good morning. No problem. The first few weeks when I started doing it, they were kind of shocked. Good, you. Thank you. Not many people hold doors, right? But after that, people started to open up to me. Opening a door is more than a physical act. It's about putting yourself out there, getting to know people, making them feel comfortable, making them feel welcome. Thank you. No problem. Opening doors, it gives people hope that people care. Uh, I think that was his way of uh, saying I'm here and I'm not going to be invisible anymore. He had literally, just by holding doors and saying good morning, he had turned, like, he had made a drastic change in his life. It was definitely a positive effect. Like, it made people want to do nice things for other people. Like, it was, he set a good example for other students. Everything changed huge. I mean, everyone said it. All the teachers, the students felt it. They, they talked about it, you know, that he, he changed things in the school. And he was a changed, a changed Josh.
We were honored to have Josh, very privileged. Any school would have benefited. I think Prom King was a way to say thank you from the students and the staff. So when he won, it was like his moment to shine. When we heard Josh Yant's name pulled out, it was like pretty much the whole, everyone should have just ran up there and been Prom King because it felt like everybody won. Yeah, he's standing tall and straight. He's got the big grin on his face and got the crown. I never expected to get an award or anything like that, I guess. I, I was just happy enough to make it through. Just one year and things are, are totally turned around, totally. I had to not watch it again because it gets me every time. Sometimes our desire for safety keeps us from confronting our deep past. But I hope you hear in the story and the conversation between Moses and God this care to say, I want you to confront your fears of the unknown and know that I will be with you. If you just trust me with your greatest strengths, you don't have to control things. And God meets us in our fears of our inadequacy. And when we hand over our greatest weaknesses to him, he says, I will be in those. You don't have to be afraid of them anymore. I'm enough. You don't need to be enough. And whatever past mistake, whatever huge sin or flaw that you think you have that is in your past, do you think that God isn't big enough to handle it? We don't have to... We don't have to run to safety. God wants us to be free and full in him. Will we trust him with our lives? What's stopping you from running into God's future? I mean, yes, I believe that it's hope and restoration in the world for your life, but I also believe it's for us as a community. I think sometimes we have this, we have these moments where we're right on the edge and we're like, yeah, it's got it. Oh, it's, it's really scary. And so we pull back and we keep from bringing hope and restoration to people who desperately, desperately need it. One more story Jesus and Peter. After Jesus was crucified, and right before he was crucified, Peter denies him. Not once, not twice, but three times. And after Jesus dies, Peter is just wrecked. So he does what's predictable and comfortable and safe. Peter was a fisherman. So he went back to fishing. And Jesus meets him fishing. He meets him in his predictability and in his comfort and in his safety. And he just calls out to him and he says, Peter, do you love me? God is not angry with you. He's not standing over you, disappointed. He, just like he wasn't disappointed with Peter. He just calls out and says, do you love me? 
Do you love me more than your desire for comfort or your desire for control or predictability or your desire for safety? Do you love me more than your fears? More than your fears of being inadequate, more than your fears of being successful, more than your fears of being safe? Do you love me more than those things? And even if you've never said yes to Jesus, I believe you can today and you can say, yes, I do love you and he will meet you there. In your folder and up here, there are pieces of paper. As we close today, I'd like you to take a look at this sheet of paper. It says, what are you holding on to? Because I know that not only does God love us, he loves us too much to let us stay holding on to our fears and stay in setback. And so he says, what's in your hands? What are you holding on to? Is it a fear? Is it a weakness? Is it a strength? Would you write it down? And if you sense the Spirit of God saying, you need to release that into my care, I encourage you to come and put it in one of these shredders, just symbolizing that you can't pick it back up again unless God tells you. And then shred it. It'll make a really annoying sound, but it'll make a beautiful sound. And if you sense God telling you from from his word and from his spirit today that you are supposed to pick something up. There's stations right here to have you write that down so that you don't forget when you leave. What does God need to shred so that you can be secure in his, him today? Take a step. Josh did it, changed his life. Peter did, it changed his life. Moses eventually did. It changed his life. God wants to change your life. You pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that you call out to us and just simply ask without any condemnation and any anger, do you love me? God, when you show us the way and we hesitate, I pray that we wouldn't see anger on your face. But I also pray, God, that we would not be stuck in fear. I pray that, that each person in this room, God, that you would show them by your spirit what they need to give over to you, what they need to shred, and that you would show them what you are handing back. God, meet us in this time so that we can be set free, so that we can make your comeback, God, and live into your future, not just individually as a church and as a world that would follow you, that would say, yes, Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. I love you. I trust you with my life. I trust you with my strengths. I trust you with my weaknesses. Amen.